Chapter 16 Beneath the Bloodstar Cross He wasn't sure how long it took him to decide to look out the window. He stood there a while, in stunned silence, afraid to burn some horrible image of Armia into his mind. For the life of him, Vaslo Stepman could barely recall any memory of his mother beyond that bloody last moment, when she had laid there lifeless beneath his father's hands. The only memory of his father he could recall was what happened next, and that anguished look on his face before his own son struck him down. He wanted to remember Amir as he knew her, and not however she might look now. At length, it was the fear that she might still be alive that made him approach the window and look down to the hard flagstone courtyard beneath. There Amir lay, and he knew that she was gone. She looked like she might have been asleep, laying out beneath the stars on a dark velvet sheet. Her limbs had not been mangled by the fall, and for whatever ruinous wound might have been on the back of her head, her face looked as though she could still be alive. The pooling blood made the gentle red light of the blood star dance and leap around her. Sadness clenched his gut like a firm and unyielding hand, but it couldn't squeeze out a tear. His old... Dry eyes had forgotten such things. When the door to the room flew open, it was as though sound returned to the world in a lightning bolt. Vazdo again became aware of the din of battle and the sounds of men fighting and dying, of women screaming, of orders being shouted and footsteps hammering the earth. "'When you weren't in your room, I thought you might be here,' Cory said, his eyes darting around the room. "'Still no Amia? Damn it! Where could she be?' Vaslo turned and went to answer, but the breath stuck in his throat. His gut couldn't push forth the words. Instead, he looked at Cory, all the pain and confusion of the last few minutes twisting up into his face. He stared dumbly at the walnut clenched tightly in his fist. Cory looked at Armia's bed and saw a bloodstain on the white sheets, and realized that Vaslo had been staring out the window when he came in. He saw the walnut the duelist now held and let out a shaken breath of air. What happened? Before Vaslo could find the words to answer, the courser crossed the room and looked out the window. No. No! Amia! He stepped back from the window like something had bitten him, and looked, wide-eyed, at his companion. She! One tear finally did rest itself from his old eyes, and he swallowed hard. She leapt from it. Corey grabbed the hand that held the walnut in both of his. I am so sorry. We will talk about it. We will, and we will find a way to honor her. But Vaslo, we must go, and we must go now. His voice was soft, but still carried an air of intense urgency. The master duelist took in a breath and let it out slowly between his lips. I hope they tear this place to the ground. They're working on it as we speak. They pushed it from their minds for then, and charged out the door and down the angled halls of the mansion. Along the way they saw crying servants, shouting guards, and people of every type and station running around as though they were on fire. The property was in total chaos, and the sounds of fighting men drew closer. When at last they reached the bottom floor, Corey led them quickly through a series of doors that took them to the trader's stables at the rear of the estate. 
Shit, he cursed as soon as they stepped out. Shit, Vazdo agreed. Corey's plan had required leaving under conditions other than there now were. Instead of a wagon waiting for them in a lonely part of the mansion at the back end of the property, they found Ain Thoto, Sir Alden, and an entire host of servants, wards, and soldiers. They were gathered about two long wagons, with several of them trying to assist Lord Thoto in the act of climbing into one. The sickening sound of Ain Thoto's blustery voice came over the din of the crowd. Master Duelist! Master Duelist, you must accompany me in my wagon. You must. I will pay you twice what we agreed, but you must come with me now. These lunatics, they're after my life. I know it. There's no reasoning with mongrels. I need you to protect me. Cory and Vosdo looked wearily at each other. It was certainly neither's intention to be leaving the mansion riding the land baron's wagon, to say nothing of protecting him. Still, Vosdo realized they were completely surrounded by Sir Alden's men. The panic of the moment being what it was, he wouldn't be surprised if they cut him down for refusing. I'll melt into the crowd and follow, Cory said with understanding. And then, seamlessly, did exactly that, as though it were a skill he had honed. Vazdo swallowed his overwhelming hatred and made his way through Alden's men and up into the carriage. It was wide and long, pulled by four powerful black horses, and with a trailer attached behind it to carry goods. People busied themselves frantically with piling chest upon chest of what must have been Lord Thurto's private belongings into the back of it, while three other people in the carriage proper shoved one another to make room for both Thoto and the master duelist. Lady Canlow was among them, as was Lindell, and two middle-aged men of noble standing that Vazlo had sometimes seen around the estate, but never spoken with. Move, damn it all, the Lambaron grunted through heaving breaths as he took a seat and pushed Lindell clear out of the way. The other two pressed closer against each other to make room for Vazlo opposite of Ain Thoto. Damn it all! He choked again, sweat beating all over his face. Leave! I'm in! Now leave before they have us! Sir, they're not done loading, Lindell started. Damn whatever they haven't loaded yet! I've wealth across the nine banks! I can buy it again! We must go! He leaned his red face at the side carriage window. Go! There was a shout in the crack of reins, and the cart abruptly jerked forward and began rolling along. People outside sounded confused, and a few others had to leap to get out of the way in time. But the voices of guards marshalled them into order and got the rest of the crowd on their way quick enough. Vazlo looked out his small window to try and see Cory, but could not find him. What he did see, though, was the courtyard on their side of the mansion where he knew Amia's body now lay in a pool of her own blood. The hedges were too high to see where she was exactly but he knew her window. He would probably never forget that window, he reckoned. The land baron and the other passengers began talking in panicked tones that worked their way into a rhythmic background sound. Vazdo had too much on his mind to care what they were talking about. He replayed those last minutes in Armia's room again and again, stuck in a cruel cycle, torturing himself with questions. Was there anything he could have done or said that might have saved her? Should he have accepted the duel with Alden that night at Lady Canlow's mansion, and just killed the man? It had never been his responsibility to take care of someone, and he knew that, ultimately, 
it hadn't been his responsibility to protect Armia. After all, she was layers deep into the financial and political intrigue that plays out between notable houses. Still, he couldn't get rid of the gnawing in his gut that it was all Vaslo Stepman's fault, and that he could have saved that little girl. Somehow, he reached into the satchel on his belt and pulled out the walnut. Some master duelist you are, he mumbled quietly to himself before putting it away again. The wagon didn't make it far before a sudden roar of voices could be heard ahead on the road. A roar like men charging, and then like men fighting. The door to the wagon flew open, and a few panicked people tried to squeeze their way in before being pulled back out by some guards. Ayn Thoto began screaming for Sir Alden, and through the open door, he could see people running away and guards rushing forward, weapons drawn. Sir Alden stuck his head into the wagon. My lord, there's an ambush. Stay in the wagon. Then he was gone. The land baron's eyes looked like they were going to fly out of his face. You'll protect me, Master Duelist. You will, yes? That's what I'm paying you for. Vaslo didn't answer him. Instead, he watched the fighting through the door, until someone closed it. It was clear that Lord Thoto's men were outnumbered, but it looked like everyone was fighting, even his household servants. Some people were even just fighting with their bare hands. The duelist turned to the land baron. I would start thinking of a good surrender speech. I don't think your men will win this one. Ayn Thoto just sat there, drenched in sweat, slowly accepting that reality. But Sir Alden's men are the best trained in Ashgarden, one of the other passengers protested, trying to convince himself of it. The most hated in Ashgarden, too, was the leveled. The door on Lord Thoto's side of the carriage flew open, and several angry, yelling citizens reached inside and grabbed a hold of the massive man. Lady Canlow screamed and bunched up in a corner with the other two men, who watched in horror as they began to pull the land baron out of the carriage. Unhand me! He shouted, trying to claw at the many hands that now grabbed him with his meaty fingers. Voslo! Voslo, help! Vaslo Stepman crossed his arms and leaned back against the cushion of his seat. For Armia, and every person like her that you've ruined, I hope that today you get what you deserve. Fear overcame the land baron's face, and then he was rolled out of the cabin backwards and dragged away as the door came shut. Vaslo pulled out his red cedarwood sword and held it across his lap, looking over to Lady Canlow. I will protect you. My lady. Then he looked at the other two men, who he remembered had laughed loudly at Armia's expense when Sir Alden had chased her around the dinner table. You two. Out. Are you mad? We can't go out there with... with them. Vazda grinned, and began unsheathing his father's steel sword. It's out there with them, or stuck in here with me. I think your chances are better out there. The two men gave each other an uncertain look, but slowly slid towards the door and, with a deep breath, escaped outside. Lady Canlow was still looking towards the other door, the one that the land baron had been pulled from. Do you think they'll kill him? Probably. And you're all right with that? she asked. Weren't you supposed to be his bodyguard? 
He raised an eyebrow. Did you want me to do some bodyguarding for him? She lowered her eyes. No. No, I didn't. I was afraid you would. And he would get out of this just fine and continue terrorizing families. It was quiet for a moment as the noise outside died down, and a few people could be heard shouting to each other. There was no sound of the Lambaron's blustering voice. Seems it's over, Vazlo said. You stay in here. I'm going to step outside. To his relief, only a handful of men were dead when he stepped out and surveyed the area around the carriage. Two citizens, judging by their outfits and wooden weapons, and four of the guards from Sir Alden's unit. Master Stepman, a familiar, older voice called. It was the man with the gruff beard from that day Carthine had confronted them in the market and brought him back to their hideout. He stood there and scanned the duelist head to toe, lingering a bit on the sheathed weapons at his side. I'm glad you didn't join them. Vazlo eyed the man right back, and saw that he had a deep cut across one exposed forearm but otherwise seemed fine. Unlike Vazlo's steel weapon, his had blood still on it. I didn't get your name at our first meeting. Miles, he answered, and ran his fingers over his bloodied forearm with a wince. Carthine put me in charge of the ambush. Her decision not to tell you about it. But she did tell us that so long as you didn't fight, we should leave you be if we happened upon you. You and the girl. I had a friend as well. Corey, a tall courser and a younger man than us, Vazlo mentioned with concern. Here, Vazlo. The voice came from behind, and Vazlo was relieved when he turned to see Corey Rush standing tall and fine as always. By way of explanation, he smirked and said, When people started running, well, I blended in. He turned back to Miles, hesitant to ask. And the Land Baron? Dead as the pigs he fettered himself with, and as well skewered, I'd say. A younger voice answered from a few feet away, happy with their work. Came to that, then? Vazlo asked. Miles spit onto the dry road. Was always going to. Carthine's orders. Mine, Miles said. Vazlo knew that the chain of command usually broke down during battle, especially when there were so many strong emotions surrounding the people involved. Ayn Thoto had starved his people for his own greed, and when they organized to try and get some concessions from him, he let them be hunted down and strung up on poles like the worst of criminals. That begged only one more question. And Sir Alden? Miles grunted in disgust. Sir? <laughs> Max and Alden ran away with all the dignity of a flustered goose. We are looking for him, though. He won't survive the day. Your orders as well, he grinned. Carthines. It was still the dead of night, but in the ominous, blood-soaked glow of the bright red star above them, everyone could see well enough. Alden's armor would catch the glint with its metal, and Carthine's men would have no trouble finding him if he remained outside the mansion. A few people were already ransacking the goods from the trailer behind the carriage. There's a woman in there, Lady Canlow. She's as much a victim of the Land Baron as anyone, and has been forced to do, well, favors, in order to protect her family from him. 
I expect she shall be treated fairly, Vasla said. Miles looked to one of the nearby men. See to it, and take her to Carthine. Protect her on the way. As that man left and helped the lady down from the carriage, Corey stepped forward. If you'll excuse me, sir, I am a courser by livelihood and trade. My wagon and my horses are still in the estate, as well as every shill I have to my name. It had been Vaslo and I's every intention to leave with it, but events transpired before that could happen. Miles nodded. By Carthine's orders, all merchandise in or around the estate, including that stored there by courses, will be counted and valued. Much of it belonged to the people, you'll know, or represents theft from our citizens in some other fashion. As we have no way of accessing the Landbaron's banks, they are our only reprieve. Most of it will be liquidated and used for reconstruction and restitution. Most of it will be liquidated and used for reconstruction and restitution. The soldiers who fought under the Landbaron, but who agree to join us in roping this city back together, will be recompensed for the withheld pay and cuts that they suffered under Ain Thoto. After that, all merchants whose names are in the city's ledgers will be repaid out of what is left, in proportion to what was taken. In proportion, but not equal to, Corey figured. Civil strife affects everyone that touches it, Miles said. Corey sighed. There were two horses, large Rakaian breeds that are brown with spots of black and white. I won them fairly in a gamble, and that's about the only way someone of my means could ever come into possession of such fine beasts. Any chance I can ask you to secure them, in the least? I would very much like them back. They mean more to me than Shill. What's your name? Miles asked. Cory Rush. And you're in the city ledger, and your steeds too. Yes, and yes, Corey answered. Miles looked at the two for a minute. You're a friend of the Master Duelist, who Carthine seems to think highly of. I'll see what I can do. Regardless, it may be some weeks before all the dust settles and we can straighten that out. Horses will hardly be our main concern in the meantime. Vaslo turned to the courser, who was quietly thinking. You reckon you'll stay here, then, until this is all sorted? Corey shook his head. I have no taste for the politics that are, without doubt, about to ensue, and in the dark chance that Belmaris does send troops to take the city back, I'd rather not be here to see it. Let's travel on in your fashion for a bit, by foot, and I'll circle back around in a few weeks when word reaches us that things are safe and stable in Ashgarden once more. A wise choice, Miles said. I've only a few wise choices in me, Corey smirked so I try to save them for when it matters. Might be wise to head out this very moment, even, Vosler thought aloud. You've some energy for a brisk late-night walk in you, Corey. Corey exaggeratedly leaned on one leg, then the other. They seem awake enough, and it's not like my nerves would let me sleep after a night like this anyways. Miles shouted over at a few of the people who were busy unloading the carriage and its trailer. Bring a waterskin and some dried meat if you find it there. A younger man, blooded on one side of the head, came trotting up. The master do this can take mine. I'll find more as the night goes. He untied it from his belt and handed it to Vaslo, who bowed slightly in thanks. There are some dried dates and figs here, another shouted out, and brought the bag over. Vaslo and Cory each took a few handfuls and stuffed them into their own belt pouches. Thank you, Cory said and Vaslo grunted the same.
How far to the nearest town? And what direction? Vazlo asked Miles. The older man scratched his beard, then pointed at the rear gate of the gardens. Take a left and walk about a half mile. You'll find a road that arches west, and then connects to the main northern road. Stay on it straight for a few hours, and by about sunset you'll reach Lesden. There's an inn on the south side that stays open all hours and will take you however you come. You've some chill on you. Aye, Vazlo nodded. From there we'll make our way. Just avoid the capital road to Belmaris. We don't know if some trouble is coming our way from there, Miles suggested. I'd recognize the capital road easily enough, Corey assured him. We'll steer clear of it. Just then, another man came running up, out of breath. Colonel, we found Max and Alden. And? He's dead, sir. Dead, but not at our hands, that I know of. We found him leaning against a tree, his throat slit in a fine line. We think he may have taken his own life. His throat slit in a fine line. Vazlo looked over his shoulder at Corey, who for his part seemed like he hadn't even heard it. Good riddance. And the girl? Miles asked, interrupting the uncomfortable thought. I was told you might have one with you. Vazlo looked down at his leather boots. She, uh... Well, she became another victim of Thoto and Alden's cruelties. Miles spit again. A damned shame. But by the gods, maybe she'll be among the last of them. By the gods? Corey asked, tilting his head to the side. It was hardly a phrase one heard in the Concordant, and an illegal one at that. Miles just looked up into the sky above them, his eyes resting on the Bloodstar Cross. Maybe so. Maybe so. The two made their way out into the night, and the roads beyond Ashgarden. Behind them, to the south, the dim orange of raised buildings mingled with the darker red of the Bloodstar. The ominous constellation was beginning to lower into the other end of the sky, marking that dawn would approach in the next hours. Though Corey remained almost uncharacteristically quiet, Vazlo filled him in on the details of Armia's last moments. He didn't know whether her blood had come on its own, or if Max and Alden had done something heinous to bring it forward, but the effects on the young girl had been marked. Not grasping that her freedom was probably right at hand, she cast herself from her high window and fell to a death in the courtyard below. The courser absorbed it thoughtfully, but didn't say much. They walked nearly an hour in silence before Corey stopped in the road and took his cap off, letting his shaggy, curly brown hair roll about his face. He looked up at the Bloodstar Cross and sighed. I was wondering how you would handle it. You're softer than I thought you would be, Vaslo. So much softer. I don't know whether to be moved, or to be disappointed. I don't know whether it makes me pause, or spurs me onwards. Vaslo stopped in his tracks, maybe three yards from his friend, and turned to regard him. His entire stature seemed transformed. Where before he was always bent and wiry, he somehow seemed tall, erect, and strong. Though he couldn't see his face well, he could make out the young man's eyes. They were sharp, 
alert, and took note of everything. They were, suddenly, the eyes of a dangerous man, and Vaslo felt his guts twist and writhe within him. He placed a shaky hand on his belt beside his swords. Cory? Cory Rush began unbuttoning his blue shirt, and as he did so, even in the darkness, scars began to catch the red light. I was outside the door listening, the entire time. I know what she told you. I had wondered, you know, wondered if she really recognized me, or if I just had that sort of face. I was never around her in that great house she lived in. We passed one another in the halls a few times. I think I helped her onto a horse once, but that was all. I didn't know her then like I do now. If I had known how smart she was, I would have been more cautious. You were listening. Corey, why didn't you help? Surely together we could have convinced her. Vazdo's voice rose sharply in anger. As Corey's blue shirt fell to the dusty road, it revealed a leather strap across his chest, holding a second dirk. He drew it out with his left hand, and with his right, pulled out the one he normally wore at his belt. All of Vazdo's concerns came crushing back into his mind at the same time. The scars, made from different weapons at different times. The curious death of Damien Sajan. The way that Cory's knowledge of how to handle a weapon always seemed to surprise him, even though Vazdo was supposedly teaching him how to do just that. Everything Amir said rang through his thoughts. You murdered Amir's uncle. Truly. Cory? Tell me. Murdered is a crude term. I assassinated him, fulfilling the requirements of my contract, Cory answered. Why? Vaslo asked. Cory let out a quick laugh, like the question was ridiculous. The hand does not question its owner. At that time, I was a man owned, and I did as I was bid. You were a slave? Vaslo's heart was pounding, and his mind was racing to make sense of it. I was, Cory answered, and as a slave I did many horrible things, Vaslo. I'd say I felt bad about it, once, but I can't quite remember. The heart grows so cold, so fast, that the memory of feelings seems fabricated. I wondered if duelists perhaps suffered the same affliction, but it seems not. You are as much a man as any man I have ever met. We are nothing alike. Vazdo took a deep breath and tried to steady himself. Did you murder Darmin Sajan? Cory smiled. Now murder would be the right word for that snake. I did. I cut him ear to ear, and happily. The master duelist's skin began to heat up, even in the cold of the night. Why? I found him outside your door one night. I often spend my nights in the shadows outside your door, staring at it, wondering exactly when and how I want to do it, fantasizing. Well, the night after your duel I found him doing the very same thing. That wouldn't do, no, no. You're mine, not his, Corey said, slowly turning the daggers over in his hand. He meant to kill me, Vaslo asked, shocked. He did. 
Turns out his family was sold into slavery, and he needed all those golden chill to buy them back. Intended to kill you in the night and make off with them before anyone knew. The whole master duelist thing? A sham. He picked his credentials off a body. You saved me, Vaslo said. Preserved you for a later time, Cory corrected. And Sir Alden? Caught him running between the bushes and met him with the silent goodbye. I don't even think he knew what had happened until blood filled his breath. Vaslo felt a flurry of emotions that half-dazed him. He was angry. He was shocked. He was confused. And to a small degree, he may have even been afraid. He had never felt so tricked or deceived, in battle or otherwise. Still, the Master Duelist steadied himself with a deep breath. What is this all about? I don't understand. You've drawn your weapons. Do you really mean to fight me? Why? I don't care who you used to be. I've nothing to do with your past. Do you kill for fun? Do I represent some challenge to you? Don't tell me you're really just one more young man hoping to carve a name for himself out of my blood. I belong to the Shadows, Vaslo. No one will know who the man was that finally cut Vaslo Stepman down. And for my past. The tall courser grit his teeth, and a look of pure hatred came over his face. A look Vaslo had seen in just a flash once or twice before. You are my past. You took my future from me when you murdered my father. Vaslo's eyes went wide. It was always a subtle fear, among duelists, that they might leave some orphans in their wake. Safan Hood had once said, musing aloud, I pity the duelist who lives long enough to see what cruel seeds he may have sown unawares. Was Cory one such seed? Vaslo was old enough now that anyone he fought to the death thirty years earlier could have sired the man in front of him. Cory continued. I didn't even bother changing my name. Cory Rash. It's the first time in almost twenty years I've gone by that name. Like I thought. You didn't recognize it. The name Rush didn't even ring a bell. Just another body you left on the road. Like that poor bastard in Kippenton. Rush. Vaslo said the name to himself. Then again. Again and again in his head. He couldn't remember having ever fought a man by that name. And suddenly... He was disgusted with himself. Was he such a man? He couldn't help it. That was the life of a duelist. And in his long tenure, only a few people had ever died outside the confines of Until Dead. Corey seemed to both delight and fume over the obvious lack of recognition. He mumbled some things in a hurried voice to himself, pacing back and forth, sometimes looking at the road and sometimes glaring hatefully at Voslo. The way the Bloodstock Cross cast a glint in his eyes. He looked more wolf than man. Julius Rush! Cory finally shouted. Julius Rush! Julius Rush! Julius Rush! My father! That brought a memory back. A tall, blonde duelist some two decades earlier. A raised square in Tejeris. A battle until bloodied that ended in death. I remember, Julius. I see it now. You look just like him. Corey, he was a duelist by trade. We get heated in the moment. He lost and... You stabbed him with your damned dagger! 
Corey barked. A hole right through his chest. It was a battle until bloodied, and you killed him. Vazda remembered the rest now. It had been a solitary duel. In the dead of night and at the raised square in Tijeris. The moon had been bright that night. There had been a tinge of desperation to the entire proceeding, and Vazdo nearly called off the duel. The wager, five gold shill each, seemed ridiculously high at the time, and Julius had a kind of madness in his eyes from their first meeting. Vazdo was younger and making a name for himself, and backing down from a duel until bloodied was generally seen as cowardice. He accepted it. They fought at the agreed time and place, and Vazda beat him. Stunned by the blood on his forearm, Julius had immediately demanded a rematch. When Vazda turned him down, Julius Rush lunged at him as he walked over to collect the gold shill ring. In a moment of pure survival instinct, Vazda drew his dirk and drove it through the man's chest. It is not a duelist's job to care for the body of the opponent, and he recalled that the man's family was staying in town. He asked the witness, who had been guarding the shill ring, to find the appropriate people and alert them before he left. Corey, I don't know what you think happened that night, but I did no wrong, Vaslo explained. Vaslo stabbed me, Corey said. Those were my father's last words, when he died in my older sister's arms. Was he wrong? Well, no, not technically. I did stab him, but Corey... Nothing else really matters then, does it? Corey interrupted. Dueling is a profession of death, and for some, vainglory. It leaves devastation behind it. No matter what justification you may have in your mind, you stabbed a man and left him alone on a platform to bleed and die. If anyone else did that, no matter why, we'd call it murder. For you it's another victory, and another name to forget as you marched on to become the great and famous Vaslo Stepman. I know he was your father, but the man attacked me after I'd won, when my sword was already put away. He tried to explain. It was just instinct. The hand grabbed the dagger and thrust. I had no intention. That is not how my father put it, and I am inclined to believe a man's dying words over the memory of a killer who barely remembers those he has left behind. Corey answered. No, listen. There was a witness. The man I sent to find Julius's family. He saw it all. Surely he told you. He said only that my father had died in the duel against you, and left on his way. Listen to me, dammit! Vaslo shouted. You listen to me! You listen to me, Vaslo, and hear the terrible price of your fame and your wealth! Corey fumed. There it was, and it took the wind out of anything else Vaslo wanted to say. It was almost miraculous, really that in his long life of dueling he had never come face to face with the dark reality of how he made his living. He wondered, then, if it was because he was always travelling and never stayed anywhere long. Yet somehow, against all odds, Corey Rush found him. "'Tell me,' he said. "'All of it. Spare me nothing.' Corey kept pacing as he told the story. My sister Laura and I used the wagon we rode into the city to load the body of our father and bring him home. It was summer, though, and the heat was against us. We only made it half the way back when the stink was bad enough that we could no longer bear it. We buried him a little ways off the side of the road beyond the King's Wood, 
after passing over the Nicoli River in Belmar. My sister burned some wood, and with charcoal that no doubt washed away after the first rain, marked a stone at the end of the grave and left to continue the journey. For a time we made our own way. When we returned to my father's small estate, I took a job as a stable boy for a greater family, and she took a job as a house servant. My father had taught us something of herbal medicines, so that made her valuable enough to be hired, and between the two of us, we were able to live on humble food. It was hard, to be certain, but we were making it work, Laura and I. We sold my father's horses, and by selling off some family rings and the like, were even able to put away some show rings for the future. Julius, however, was a gambler, and a bad one. He owed a lot of money to all the wrong people. We were vaguely aware of it, but he had always been able to win enough shill with his duels to stay just ahead. Until about five months after his death, when a gang leader from the Slavers Forest came to collect. You see, as far as they were concerned, his debt was our debt. There were about fifteen men altogether, and they let themselves into the home, breaking things for no reason, and gathering up anything that looked like it could be of value. When they piled it all together, it still paled in comparison to what they were owed. An entire gold shillring. An impossible amount. That's when one of them had the bright idea that they could sell us to slavers and recapture most of it. Laura, they figured, would be worth two gold shill to the right buyer, as she was young, attractive, and a virgin. I was healthy and of good working age, so they could get perhaps an entire golden shill for me. Combined with anything else they could scrape from inside the house, they would be able to get about half of what was owed, and that seemed satisfactory to them. Being an ox-headed fourteen-year-old boy, I panicked, grabbed a scythe from the barn where they were holding us, and attacked them. Hurt one, to my credit, but was swiftly knocked unconscious. When I woke, we were bound hand and foot, and rolling through a rainy jungle, soaked through to the bone. Our next year was, I imagine, a shared experience with anyone who has ever been subjected to the cruel trade. My sister and I were separated and auctioned off, and that was the last time I ever saw her. I heard, years later, that she had died a sex slave. I was sent far to the south, to the brine, to work the salt yards for the Darklanders. Sometimes I fell in exhaustion, and sometimes they whipped me bloody or beat me unconscious, if they felt I wasn't working hard enough. That was my life, toiling away beneath that insufferable sun, until one day a man came from a well-respected order of assassins. He perused the inventory of young slaves and chose myself and a few other boys to go with him. At first I thought I had, in a way, been saved. That hope was snuffed out by the reality of life under my new overlords. My life became half exercise in weapons training, and half outright torture. Sometimes, one of the new recruits would simply drop dead after fourteen hours of running and fighting. If that didn't kill them, there was a strict regime of torture to dismantle our minds and make us tolerant of extreme pain. Of the four boys who left the salt pits with me, I was the only one who survived the first month. It was three years of that, before they felt I was well enough sharpened to begin going on contracts. I was sent with senior assassins first, of course, but in time they trusted me well enough to send me out alone, 
and even began allowing me to keep some of the shill, shill that I saved relentlessly, living on handfuls of barley porridge enriched by cane water and pieces of dried fruit. In ten years I had enough to buy my freedom, which I did, and came back to the Concordant. And do you know what kept me alive during all of it? When my blood was drained from me, when my fingernails were pulled off, when my stomach gnawed at its own flesh in hunger, the thought that one day, somehow, I would find the man that began all of this. I would find Vaslo Stepman. And I would kill him. Vaslo listened to every word with every ounce of his attention. He visualized a younger version of Cory being tortured, being worked to death, and then being raised up to kill and murder for his masters. He thought of Julius, and of that night in Tijeris, and wondered at how easily all of this could have been averted. One man had been greedy, and another had been too quick to kill, and neither of them paid the price that Kurirash or his sister did for it. The horrible truth, Vaslo knew, was that his deadly response to Julius had never even bothered him. He left to Jerus that night with a pouch of gold and not a thought to spare about who he left behind. He said it first in his mind, full of shame, but then found the strength to say it out loud. I am a different man now. A better one, Vaslo said, unable to look up and see Cory in the eyes. Cory held both his knives wide to his side, so that they glimmered in the red light of the blood star. So am I, Vaslo, and a much, much worse one. Now draw your sword and let me find peace, either by my death or yours.'